there's any things that show up. Yes, me too. Okay. Oops. No, that's the one I want. I, want. I don't think it works. It says webinar is now streaming live on Facebook. Yes, we are. Okay, In say so. We bring you diversity. In a world of hate, we bring you love. In a world of fear, we inspire you to live. And now, laughing. Loving and Alive, with your hosts, Rain Thomas, Elmer J. Howard, and Dr. Kevin. Welcome to our third live show. I am Dr. Kevin. And I'm Rain Thomas. And I am Dr. Kevin. <laughs> so no, we have no Elmer today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Elmer, that guy with the glasses. It threw me. He's skipping, he's skipping this show, the loser. So yeah. Dr. Kevin had to show up twice. I mean, like, I mean, like, what's up with that? Well, remember that show, What's My Line? And they were like, I'm so-and-so. Everybody was that person you had to figure out who was telling the truth. Yep, yep, absolutely. I remember that show. Okay, good. Phew. So, so what are we talking about today? Well, I, I mean, I always like to check in. It's been a couple of weeks. So. Wasn't it just yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Oh, sorry. Um, so tell, tell me, Elmer, tell me, what made you laugh in the last couple of weeks? This is laughing, loving, and being and, and alive. So what made you? Oh, uh, I, I watched uh, Hannah Gadsby on Netflix. She's an Australian. Um, comedian, uh, she's lesbian, and she did a thing called The Net, and then she did another show called Douglas, um, one in 2018 and one in just 2020, and I saw the 2021 first, and then I had to go back to the 2018 one, but she's really funny, she's really good, she's really poignant, um, and I, it was the one I was telling you about, Dr. Gavin, when I was at your house, uh, I started watching a little bit of it, it's definitely worth watching. She's very funny, but she's also got a great message and she's very passionate about a lot of things and going on in, in her life and in the world and with her comedy. Um, did you say she was a lesbian or thespian? <laughs> a lesbian. Okay, because I just heard the B and I'm like, okay, I'm not really sure what he said. <laughs> she actually has, a, has an art major is what she went to college for and then she ended up in, as a comedian. She's a being out of space. <laughs> I love it. And how do we, is there a way that you can send us the link so I can check her out or? Uh, yes, um, if I can remember, I can actually post it to this video. So anybody watching it who wants to see it. Okay, um, awesome. We'll find it in the comments uh, it's after the show is done. If okay. you're going to be checking her out, you better She's be on Netflix. Ain't got anybody that are that doesn't like people checking her out there, Mama Rain. You know, just I got it. I got it. Okay, okay. I'm just keeping my eye on you. 
one question what? for you, Dr. Kevin. Yes, yes. What question do you have for me? Um, what's the most inspiring thing that happened to you since we last saw each other? Uh, since we last saw each other, which was the last, the last Sunday in June, right? Am I correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. No, I had my 60th birthday party, three days. I reached my goal, which was sexy at 60. 60 never looks so good. That was the theme of my three-day party. Unlike some people who party for a month. Uh, I'm sorry, still partying. <laughs> still partying. Well, you know, I used to say that I started celebrating my birthday on the 4th of July, and I ended it uh, celebrating my birthday on the 3rd of July. The following year i take one I like that yeah yeah so i think it was very interesting part of uh part of what was inspiring well it's very interesting because part of what was inspiring was the number of comments that i got from people that said i didn't look like i was 60 first of all uh it's always nice to hear yes and then of course my goal was uh, my sexy at 60 goal was to get in shape over the last year and i've lost 75 pounds in the last year put on some muscle lost like 12 waist sizes i mean you know so a big transformation um there and you know how many people got excited about it was very inspiring you know that told me how inspiring i was to them and you know and that kind of works to inspire me when I know I'm inspiring somebody else, that inspires me to go out there and even do more. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what was inspiring. Plus, uh, you know, I got a new book out since we last spoke. So that's hit the stands. And so that's inspiring. Uh, um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's it called? Uh, well, you know, it's really interesting because I write under a pen name. Uh, and so, uh, but I do that so people that are reading my spiritual books don't necessarily try to get confused because this is an alternative reality fantasy fiction series. It's the okay. first in a 13 book series I'm writing called The Paradox Prophecies. Uh, and it's, uh, this one's called The Invitation and it actually takes place in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, and if there, is a, uh, if there is a boundary to push, I push it. I challenge people, and I, do, and I actually deliver a lot of spiritual messages, but they're all wrapped up in a alternative reality fantasy fiction format. So okay. I get to tell a good story, or what I hope is a good story, um, and uh, engage people who would never read my traditional stuff that would read this and will hopefully you know, get stuff out of it. Because I think one of the most inspiring, motivating, forward-seeing TV shows in the early 60s was Star Trek. I've never, ever seen it in my life. Oh, Star Trek does an amazing job at talking about what's going in the world, going on in the world by putting it in the 24th century. I mean, yeah, it had, I'd never seen it. Oh, oh. I, yeah. Incredible, and of course they've done tons of movies and series, but it's definitely one that inspires and motivates and talks about humanity being at a better place than it is now, but still being human. And Romulan and, you know, Klingon and, you know, uh, Betazoid and all of those things. I know, but you'd like- Congrats, I wanna support and I want an autographed copy. 
Ah, okay. Do you read that genre? I will because you wrote it. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling the truth. Ordinarily, I would not because you wrote it and, you know, we're all about supporting, right? And, you know, there are other people that are watching us that might love that and I'd be able to, you know, turn them on to what you're doing. So isn't that the goal? Yep, absolutely. And okay. last thing I want to say bef uh, to answer your question before I ask you a question, Miss Rain, um, you know, some people gave me a hard time when I say, well, my goal is to be sexy at 60. And they're like, you know, you're, you, you know, you're a spiritual teacher, blah, blah, blah. And you're in a, you know, you say you're in a happy marriage. I love the people that said you say you're in a happy marriage. I mean, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, so, you know, what's the big deal, you know, about being sexy at 60? And I said, sexy at 60 is being my best self. It's being my most healthy self. It's not only losing the weight and making sure I'm eating a good diet and I'm doing good exercise, but that I'm really taking care of myself and I'm entering this, my, my 60th decade at the very top of my game. And to me, I, that is sexy and it's sexy to me and my husband loves me at this size and he loved me 75 pounds heavier. He actually said, you're getting a little too thin. Of course, for some of us, there's never such anything as such as too thin, but that's beside the point. But uh, anyways, so, but that's my response is, sexy comes from the inside. And yes, it, it does. Out. And it's about confidence and feeling good about knowing that you are being your best self. I and, like it. And we talked last show a lot about how we're all, we're all survivors, that we've all had traumatic things, and that sometimes it takes the act of having to survive something to really learn how to be alive. You don't take things for granted. So what was the most loving thing that happened to you since the last show? You know what? Loving stuff happens all the time. I mean, I got more birthday gifts and more birthday, I know, and more birthday invitations. And I see, um, I must say that Lorraine Martinez is watching and she's going to cook uh, lunch or dinner for me. She's a fabulous cook. So that's coming up soon and not because I'm like cheapening it right now by calling her out on it, but she really is lovely and I can't wait until we get together and go buy some plants and then like eat something really bad for us. So lots of loving things have happened. Um, and you, you talk about all of us being survivors. I'm glad we have our guest on here today because when you talk about survivor and surviving, She's, she's definitely all of that. Oh, really? I wish I'd known that. I would have created a better intro conversation. <laughs> what would you, what would the conversation have been at that point? <laughs> Beautiful women on a podcast? Oh, no. First I was afraid. I was petrified. Oh, dear. Elmer. Elmer? Uh, who are we bringing on? Anybody? Is it? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> it's okay. You brought you you surprised me with a great guest call this morning. We're not going to talk about that, but you know, got her locked and loaded. Thank you. 
<laughs> okay. I, I appreciate it. Elmer? Yeah. What 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 should we what should we bring our guest on? Well, are we done talking? I don't know. I have no idea. I really think this young woman is fire. And wanna wanna use it the whole time with her. Oh, we can, or we can go back to uh, Dr. Kevin singing, singing? Uh, <laughs> "I Will Survive." I mean, you, you you pick your battles, you know. Just uh. Yes. <laughs> All right, one more <laughs> round of I Will Survive. Come on, Dr. Kevin. No, 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 no. Hey, 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 hey. I'm not on the show to be a singer. I charge more. Well, they'll pay it. Let's see. Everybody that's on says they'll pay it. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, no, I think that it's great. I think we can bring on the guest at any point. I just think it's always good to do a check-in and find out what great and wonderful things are happening in our lives that we can use to inspire and motivate. Uh, actually, one of the things is our local Humane Society uh, here in Nashville, New Hampshire, and I'm gonna be posting this out. If anybody wants to follow me, they can do so on uh, My Dr. Kevin, M-Y-D-R-K-V-I-N on Facebook. Um, uh, that's my fan page. Uh, and they're gonna do a uh, thing where people can, are going to do a fundraiser of keeping track of how much they walk every day. Uh, and they're going to, you know, kind of like when we, you, if you do a 20 mile walk or whatever and you raise money, but people are going to do it on their own and they're going to report in with the device that kept track of their things. And then in late October, there's going to be a three mile uh, socially distant walk for the group but they're gonna be doing it starting at the end of July to raise money for the Humane Society. Because just like every, just like a lot of things that got affected by COVID, the Humane Society is one of them. And um, you know those animals still are getting turned in and they still need to be fed and they still need to be taken care of. And so, uh, yeah, so I'm actually gonna do that is I'm gonna be putting out there, and if anybody does want to sponsor me, knowing the money goes to the Humane Society, you can, or you can just do it in, because one of the other things I've started doing is, um, on a regular basis, I post what I'm doing daily, because I was told it was inspiring and motivating people, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm doing videos, or I'm running, or whatever, to keep in shape and feel good about myself, and I usually try to slip some little message in there. I kind of fell off the wagon around my birthday, but I'm getting ready to hitch up hitch the wagon up and take the horse out for a ride again. Cause I got so many comments from you're inspiring me to get up. You're inspiring me to go out and do something. You're ins and it's like, okay, so maybe I can inspire them to help support the local humane society. Cause you know, those poor animals, they need some love and some food and some taken care of too. You know what? And with that being said, um, you guys, please follow Dr. Kevin because I went on and looked at some of his before and after weight pictures. And if you want to be inspired with health and wellness, that is inspiring. That That is definitely, yeah, congratulations. You look amazing. Sexy you, and thanks. 60 or whatever it is you're going for. You're going for being a thespian. Isn't that what <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to be a thespian. I just let my thespian, my inner thespian out. Man, it, I knew it. <laughs> oh, so, my goodness. So where so, do we go from here, gang? Well, Rain, I was going to say, you want to introduce our guest as I, as I bring her in 
to the Zoom? Yeah, that'd be great. You know what? We, you, everybody knows that I do a lot of cancer and breast cancer stuff. And a couple of years ago, I was very, very blessed to be the keynote speaker for the Young Survivors Coalition. And they flew me out there to Houston, which where I met this young lady, Kelsey, who, I mean, just, you know how you meet people and you know that you're going to be friends forever. This, this was it. Here's this young woman and, you know, she's like this serious survivor. I'm not going to, I'm going to let her tell her story. And she's like, we should talk more. And this place is riddled with people. I don't know. There were a few hundred people, maybe a thousand people. Everybody's everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we ended up sharing what an Uber together to get to know each other, like randomly outside going to the airport, which of course we know there's no random, right? And so um, we've kept in touch and she had this wonderful podcast, which I went on and a couple people I knew. And I, I want people who are currently going through cancer or any kind of trauma to, to actually hear some of her story, because I think it's really powerful. Um, I talk to people all the time who send me messages and they're scared and they're not sure what they're scared of. You know, they just are hanging out on this journey. And Kelsey, I think you'd be great. So Elmer, Dr. Kevin, Rain Thomas, there's Kelsey Smith. Yes. Didn't I get the last name right, Kelsey? I think so. I think you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Kelsey. Hello, everybody. How are you? <laughs> um, I think you're talking to them because, you know, I'm going to pull back. I'm fine as always, but I'm going to pull back and I'm going to let Dr. Kevin and Elmer, who really doesn't say anything the whole time, he just nods and laughs with us. He's like the tech support guy. Let's see, <laughs> I'm gonna, because I know your story and um, I know you, I wanted to make sure that they ask questions that I probably wouldn't ask because I assume people in the audience know, but we have uh -huh. a lot of survivors that are watching and we have some of, um, my friends and associates that are currently going through chemo and radiation, or they are um, the spouse of someone going through it and they don't know what to do. They're, they're afraid, they're not sure. And I thought you could shine some light on it, you know, starting with your age of the tender age of like 20 something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you can also tell, you know, Elmer and Dr. Kevin at the end about your crocodile wrestling career. So I'm a big cat rescuer. <laughs> hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> so she's all, she's all. You may see my two cats. They sometimes show up in the middle of the show. So you may see some yes, of my. they do. That's great. That's great. I don't know where my girl's at. She's she's somewhere. She was all here, like right before I was getting ready. But it's like as soon as I open up, open up my mouth, she's like, peace. So yeah. she may she may stop by though. <laughs> if you want to come over. Uh, anyways, uh, so my first question for you, Kelsey, before we hear your story. I we, You were listening as, as we were like, you know, as rain was picking on me right okay you are sexy at 60. you oh. look fantastic congratulations <laughs> it wasn't the question but well thank you very much uh, i have to keep track of the number of fives i have to slip you so i can put them all in one envelope no <laughs> the uh heard what we're talking about do, do you have the experience 
that you laugh better, love better, and are more alive by being a survivor than before it happened. Was that a true statement for you? We were talking about it as it can be a true statement. Yes, I would say in my case, absolutely. Um, it really took survivorship for me to find my own uh, intrinsic value, truly. Um, and I think, you know, everybody has their own, you know, varied experiences, but, um, with, with my experience, I mean, even after treatment was over, I didn't, I didn't want to be around for a while and it just took to, it took community really. And, um, being around people who really understood me in order for me to ultimately realize. And, and I think, you know, when you are faced with that life or death, like you get that that diagnosis, it's like you suddenly, you suddenly want to fight for it and you want to stick around. Like it, it feels, it's like a big feeling of like unfinished business. It's, it's a really, really trippy thing to go through. <laughs> I know I've, I've had people, you know, we all talked about we're survivors, but we're survivors of different things. Some of us mm -hmm. are survivors of abuse. Others are survivors of near-death experience, of cancer. There's a whole plethora that the word survivor can, can refer to. But in the case of your survivor and in dealing with survivors in my practice, um, that uh, part of it is that oftentimes your life goes along and you have more of it on autopilot than you realized until something like this is like scratching a needle across a record. And then you really have to stop and say, do I choose to live? And if I live, will I really live now? Because yes. I, I've been really living before. I was kind of phoning it in. When, when you got past the point of from surviving to kind of thriving, which I'm assuming is where you are now. I'm still surviving. You're still surviving. Okay. I have a whole viewpoint oh, wow. on the word thriving. <laughs> we can get into that. But I'm yeah, that. I, I do too. I actually think that thrive is only the middle step. Um, I think there's a third. And, and so, so, you know, you said that last time, uh, you know, the last show. So why is it when I created my company and, and told you the name, you thought it was a great name? Because I think that therefore, for what you're doing and what you're presenting, um, it is a great name. My, uh, I have a film, film production company. It's called Thrive Productions. Got it. But after she tells you her take on Thrive, which is going to completely deflate you ever wanting to use the name again, because I can tell by the twinkle in her eye, rebranding um, <laughs> and re-merchandising you, Elmer. Don't worry. I'm no! going to save you. Good Lord. You know what? I actually, you know, what's really funny that you say that is the name that I had before, which was the cancer survivor. Somebody told me in front of 2000 people that they hated the name. They were like, they, he, he like owns the yoga Instagram channel. Okay. And like he, you know, he has all these people that follow him and just think he is like this business guru. And then people emailed me afterwards and said, cause they said, put thriving in the name <laughs> just like people hate survivorship people hate the concept of survivorship it's almost like it's it's sometimes it's perceived as like not being good enough like people have to thrive and 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 my viewpoint on it is that in in, in some cases like we talk about various stages of being a breast cancer survivor and people who are stage four don't always feel that they that that term is applicable to them because they're like well i still have it it still hasn't gone away so we call them thrivers 
as a matter of fact, you know, they seem to be more comfortable with that terminology. Um, but I think in, in regards to people looking at cancer survivors that are, you know, no evidence of disease and say, oh, you're thriving. Well, that's, that's a big process and that's a big step. And some days it's about five steps back. It's not this like linear process where you go through treatment and it's great and it's all roses and then suddenly you're done. And that is like the biggest misconception I think possible. Um, in addition to breast cancer being the easy cancer to have, like the, it, it, there's a lot of fallacies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and you most often hear breast cancer being the easier, easier of the cancers to survive. I, every time I've ever heard it, it came out of a male voice, which makes sense to me because it just reinforces the insensitivity that men have for what women go through. So I know men can have breast cancer, like knowledge. but yes. Yes, 1% of the male population gets breast cancer. And the, and the thing about it is that men typically um, are diagnosed at later stages and have worse mortality rates um, than their female counterparts. So it is actually a really important discussion um, in regards to male breast cancer. Even though it's a small you know, uh, portion of the population, it's really impactful. So in addition to any, um, any woman of color versus a... Um, versus their white counterparts, they're diagnosed at around the same, you know, same instances, but the outcomes are typically worse for women of color because they tend to find it also a little bit later. They're the ones who are typically putting themselves uh, first, uh, last rather, and taking care of everybody else. And so, you know, this whole community, this breast cancer community, um, you know, really, really taught me, if anything, the importance of, you know, having all these different voices speak up and, and actually be a part of the conversation yet, you know, amplifying the voices of individuals who have worse outcomes and, and disseminating that and figuring out what we can do to prevent it. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times when, when I personally use the word thrive, thriving is more about, it, it, would, it would not, I would never say that somebody I, again, I wouldn't, and I'm not a cancer survivor. I've worked with cancer survivors, I'm working with mm -hmm. one, I'm working with a, a, a somebody that's in stage four right now because um, I work as a medical intuitive and I work with alternatives and naturals and things like that to work with traditional. I mean, I don't work in opposition with traditional, but I work with traditional. Um, but is thriving is is reaching the point where you are actually not having to focus on the things that that say that every day that, that every day could be a last day because of the because of the diagnosis of the disease that you know that adds a, a an extra stress an extra concern an extra worry an extra focus it it focuses you in and it may teach you more about being in life or it could teach you to more how to check out of life more, depending on what relationship you're going to have with that cancer. Um, but no, when I when I tend to use thrive, I tend to be when you finally get to the point where it's clear it is not the center of your universe that you have to look at all of the time as part of your planning, so to speak. So we may that's be right. using the word. That's yeah. That that's you know I'm not I'm not a cancer survivor, but that's where you know thrive came up for me and when I was talking to Dr. Kevin about naming the company is, you know, especially financially and uh, all, all my life, I felt like I was just fighting just to survive. 
And that's was like, I hate being just, just in that spot. And like, and so I was like, what's after that? And you know, that's when Dr. Kevin's like, well, if you're not surviving, you're actually living, you're thriving in life, you know? And so that's why I was like, yeah, I want, I want to be thriving. I don't want to be every day kind of wondering like, you know, am I going to pay the bills? Am I going to, you know, be out on the streets? Can I feed myself, you know, and, just, or, and, and that's just financially, but everything else, you know, that can go on in someone's life that can make them feel like they're just trying to survive, you know, children in abusive health households, you know, they spend a lot of their life just trying to survive. And so just to me, again, the same thing, different kind of a connotation to the thriving. So, mm-hmm. Tell us so so. Tell us your story. I I I wanted to open up some some connective talk before suddenly it was like so. Tell us your story. Go talk. <laughs> sure, sure. So I um so really you know my be- my purpose for being here t- tonight and um you know that started really around the age of twenty nine. Um, I was in a I was in a career. Um, I had pretty much lived a life where I was always trying to persevere no matter what. And, um, I had some cards stacked against me, unfortunately, uh, from the jump, but then things got better for a while. And, uh, I became, you know, throughout my, my adversity that I experienced when I was very young, um, I eventually became an honor roll student, an athlete, all, all those things. Like I was really resilient. I was really tough. And, uh, Pretty much, I ended up going to college early. Uh, I was 17, graduated, and then as soon as I graduated, I left my hometown and I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona. And I was 29, and I had just gotten like my my dream job, if you will, and that was in that was in June. And then I was hired on with the company, like officially hired on, the beginning of November. But around uh, mid-October, well, actually, it was around September. It was September 2014. Um, I was putting lotion um, on, on my breast, and I felt at around the 4 o'clock range a lump that didn't feel like anything else. And the first moment I touched it, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's cancer. And then I stopped myself, and I said, Kelsey, you know, don't, don't be so dramatic. It's probably fine. And... I kept forgetting to call and I kept forgetting to call. And then finally October, my, uh, my yearly appointment was, was, you know, uh, arrived. And at that time I asked my gynecologist about this lump and she felt it and she was like, Hmm, well, I'm sure it's probably nothing, but we'll go ahead and get it checked out anyway, just to be safe. Um, we're going to get you a mammogram and and an ultrasound. So not really, you know, knowing what was going on. I was okay up until I was on that table getting the biopsy. So pretty much it was like this, this, this mammogram and in the ultrasound showed that it wasn't a cyst. And then they scheduled the biopsy and that was an exceptionally painful experience. It was awful. And, um, I got the call in November 11th that I was, uh, I had invasive ductal cancer. That's what that, that was the verbiage that my gynecologist had used. She freaked. She didn't think that it was going to be breast cancer. Um, she actually called me from a hospital she was working at on that day. She wasn't in the actual office. And, um, I found out over the phone and for two days, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what stage I was at. I I thought I was going to die. Um, (laughs) it was, it was just really crazy. And I was diagnosed on November 11th of 2014. And, um, that night, oddly enough, I went to a concert and the tour was called you're dead. So, and and I did, I I died like the old, yeah, the old me was, it was just like 11, 11, like people who are in the spiritual world, like 
that's usually their wake up call. And that was definitely mine. And, uh, I ended up deciding on getting a double mastectomy with reconstruction, just knowing that I was 29. Um, I, I knew like, I just, I don't know, instinctively, I just knew that it was something that I should do. So I get the surgery and it turns out that it actually traveled to my lymph node. So, um, in the cancer, in the cancer world, in the, in the, in the history of cancer, um, radical mastectomies were all the rage, like back in the fifties, sixties. And for some reason, the people who are getting mastectomies, uh, predominantly women at this point, um, they were still getting metastatic cancer elsewhere. So it was going to like their bones or there was going to their liver. It was going to their brain. Um, it was going to, you know, it, and, and it was like, well, what, what the heck we, we thought we got rid of it all. And then they found out eventually, oh, it goes to lymph nodes and it travels there. So basically it went to my very first lymph node. And that means that my whole body was filtering that stuff out. So my oncologist advised me to do chemotherapy and he gave me options. I could have gone with like an eight week option. Um, or I could have gone with the, um, gosh, how long was it? It was like a five month option. And that's what I took. I went the most aggressive route through and through. And I ended up, um, I was actually on autopilot during the treatment because it's just something that kind of happens because you've got so many appointments to go to. Like I was going to like four doctor's appointments a week. And then by the time my treatment was over, I had an ophthalmologist because of my eyes. I, I had like a whole, I had a urologist, you know, like all these doctors that like I never had before. I didn't even have like a, a primary care physician when I was diagnosed because like I was never sick, you know, it was like, I was hiking mountains. I was eating the same, you know, healthy food that my friends were eating and everything. And I still got breast cancer. Um, you know, later on, I, I found out that, you know, pretty much not only does alcohol make estrogen positive cancers grow, but people who experience, um, high levels of trauma have high likelihoods of cancer, um, in the future. So that's pretty much, you know, what my background, um, entails. And in 2018, um, I just, I knew I changed. Like I knew I changed. I was really depressed. I, I moved back to my hometown uh, to 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 get a job in a funeral home, and it didn't work. And I was fired, and I was homeless in the same week. And then two days later, my grandmother died. And it seemed like since breast cancer, it was like my whole world was like a domino effect of shit. I mean, really, that's the only way I can put it. It's like. I, I remember the year that I was diagnosed and I'm sorry, the, the year after 2015, after treatment was over, I ended up with shingles. My father passed away. Like I had to move apartments because of a stupid bed bug infestation that was existing there. Like it was, it was horrible. And like, I was really hoping that after treatment, like my life was just going to be so spectacular and every, you know, everything was going to be great. And I was dumped. I lost friends, um, a lot of friends. Um, and, and I moved, I moved back home. I ended up moving back in with my grandfather, uh, two days, or, or a week after my grandmother passed away to take care of him. And, and I'm here now. So it really took me until 2018 to feel some semblance of normalcy by going to my first young survival coalition, um, meeting. And I met all these entrepreneurs who were like turning their pain into purpose and they were, they were thriving. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, and why, why doesn't the general population like know about like these initiatives, like this for us, by us, uh, initiatives. So 
I did a, I did a podcast called the Cancer Survivor Network, and that was done in December of last year. And now I'm building up something more. And pretty much when I came back from that conference initially, um, I knew I had to become an advocate. So I became a um, young cancer support facilitator here locally in the city for the Victory Center. And I created a support group um, online called the Cancer Survivor Network Rockstars. And um, I just knew that that feeling of isolation and loneliness and that big what is called an expectation hangover of you know thinking everything's going to be so great after treatment but you're really dealing with like the collateral side effects and I found out last year that I have five more years of cancer treatment because I have a high likelihood of reoccurrence so that's where you know the survivorship kind of comes in here I'm thinking you know I'm on this path towards you know really thriving and then I get another setback and that's just young cancer because it's so much more aggressive and it's uh it's a different it's just a different beast so um so yeah so that's pretty much my story it's really been something to go through it's 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 been hell and I don't I and I and I don't feel remotely back to you know who I was before because it's just not meant to be that way one of the things that you said that stood out to me was that you know you went to the concert the tour was the I'm dead. Uh, You're said, dead. You're dead. You're, You're dead. And one of the things I, I is that I, I often tie things to is life is nothing but a series of deaths and rebirths. That all we're ever doing is letting some part of ourselves or some part of our life die and then we're moving into some other new part of ourselves and we're getting reborn. Depending on the depth of the death, it, is direct, it directly correlates with the amount of grieving and all of the other things that one has to do in a death process. Obviously, the death of your baby teeth replaced by your, your adult teeth is a small grieving process with a little bit of pain, but you know, you, what do you do? You, you hold on to the baby tooth, right? It's just a little part of you that holds on to the baby tooth. What I heard was that your death process seemed to go on forever because you kept on, it was not just the death process of you will never be the person you were before the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And then you were never going to be the person that after that first round and the first set of discovery, each one of those was, was, you know, there are little deaths and there are big deaths. And we're talking about a series of big deaths. And oftentimes when we do that, we don't ever take the time to actually stop and say, and really go into who am I now? I have to let go of everything I thought I was. Yeah. I have to let it all go. And, and stand naked and start, okay, so where do I go now? How do I go now? And sometimes it's that idea of going back. I'm gonna go back, you know? Yeah. We can't go back to the 50s. We can't go back to the good old days. We, we, can't, we can only go forward. But it's like when we're looking back, oftentimes what we do is we trip over the future and fall on our face because we're looking backwards of, you know, when can I be that person again? And most people don't want to tell you, never. You're just never yeah. 
And it's uncomfortable for some people to escort in the the new you, you know, and that's something that I had discovered throughout my, my journey afterwards, people wanting to, me to be who I was before diagnosis and, you know, having expectations that I would be going to the same places I used to go to or doing the same things that I used to do. And I just realized it was so against the grain of who I had become because I realized I'm like, there was a lot of trauma and I had to do a lot of healing. And unfortunately, some of those people that I had attracted, um, from trauma, um, we're continuing on with, you know, behaviors based on their own trauma. And I had to walk away. And that was really, really hard. There's a lot of people who try to, you know, grasp, they, they, they try to hold on to, to that, to that past. And, and it was like, it's been so clear to me since, you know, really coming back and having all these things fall apart that, it was, it, it's entirely meant to burn down. It must, it, it, it had to, I had to rebuild all over again. One of the things is, um, you know, a lot of times I, when I talk to my clients, I talk about the jigsaw puzzle and everybody that was around you before you got um, the diagnosis and started the process of the death process that came with the diagnosis uh, fit perfectly in, in, with your jigsaw piece, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. changing that piece, they no longer fit perfectly. And oftentimes when people are going through life-threatening things, life-changing things, especially when they're a traumatic, you know, a more traumatic uh, things like you were going through, not only they, are they uncomfortable with the changing of your puzzle piece, but you make them uncomfortable because you mirror to them the vulnerability of being human. Yes. And they cannot make the maturity grow. And so you said, unfortunately, and I thought, no, fortunately, honey. Fortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough losses. I mean, people that you, you love for, you know, more than a decade, it, it's, it's hard. It's very, very uncomfortable and it's very hard. And a lot of people just, you know, I think they, they hold on. They try to hold on and I'm like, I know I have to let go. And, and it's, it's been hard to, to release that, but it's like, it's, it's what it's ushered in has been just, you know, extremely, it's, it's been really enlightening for me <laughs> and um, it's helped me, you know, get back to center and, uh, you know, really focus on, on what's important and what matters. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, Dr. Kevin. I was going to say when, you know, just something you both said uh, a few minutes ago about holding on and letting go, it's so safe to assume that you can hold on and go back somewhere that doesn't even exist anymore. I, I just think that's really interesting that our mind says, hey, you know, if you can just get back to being it's 16 or get back to high school or get back to, you know, singing Neil Diamond songs, if anybody even knows who Neil Diamond is, besides <laughs> me on Sweet this podcast. Caroline. Ba, ba, ba. Da, da, da. So good. So good. So good. Yes. You know, and you're just like, oh my God, not this again. You know, I mean, it's like, like, God, I'm like, why is everybody's music taste stuck in 2003? You know, I'm just like, good Lord, there's so much out there to like explore, you know, and it was like, I just realized how, how much I had just changed and it's just like oi like i just oh yikes you're you're right did you say oi 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 
You don't know, oi? What's wrong with you? Well, you know what? I wanted Dr. Kevin and, and or Elma to talk to you because, you know, when we talk about things like breast cancer, somehow we're always talking from a woman's perspective and we're asking woman questions. And Dr. Kevin, you're asking both medical and man questions that men are sometimes afraid to ask because they're like, well, if I say it this way, they're gonna say I'm being insensitive or I don't understand. So I'm, I'm loving the way that you are doing the banter with Kelsey because there are men watching right now and I have men that you know send me messages and says, you know, my wife is going through I don't want to say something stupid, but they want to understand. And I think you're breaking that into bite-sized pieces. So, um, you know, as a survivor, that's that's important. I really appreciate the way that you're going, taking the angle you're taking with Kelsey. Well, one of the other things that you said that I think is so important, and I wanted to reiterate it, um, is the, the, when you talked about oh, don't get all upset and you've, you've found the lump and don't get all upset and don't, you know, don't become a drama queen. And so often women are conditioned, um, and, and you talked about women of color, but I, I think it's all women and women of color are conditioned, my experience, and Rain will correct me if I'm wrong, though, yeah, you re you represent all women of color, by the way, Rain. Just so you know, Thank right? Thank you. I'm glad. I, I'm glad. I know. I'm the rainbow. Yes. Put on Our condition to put themselves last. I've got to nurture everybody else. I've got to take care of everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and but one thing I want all of our listeners to remember, which is. If male or female, if you feel something funny, it's always better to know. It's it is. Oh, go. But you know, I always, yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Because the faster that you find it and take care of it, the better your possible options are. And yes. men are less likely to do that. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. they're like, I'm not worried about it. I see it so many times. I see, you know, men are like, you know, what is that? Like, I don't know. Like, shouldn't you check that out? Like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> well right yeah. it's that strength it's like that trying you know trying to be strong and being told that you know you that that's weakness when really you know owing up to it and going and, and taking the initiative that's the that's the strength right there and that's the courage you know it's not it's 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 worse to avoid it actually my grandfather one of his best friends just passed away from esophageal cancer and he was doing the same thing it was, he was like, oh no, it's fine. No, I don't feel so great, but it's fine. And yeah, he was, he was, it was too late. I mean, he had gotten chemo for a while. We were both talking about Taxol, but like that's, it, it just, by that time, it, the cancer had ravaged his body. So he, he passed away. Mm -hmm. Well, my, my first experience uh, brush with breast cancer uh, was, I was 15 uh, and uh my mother had a breast cancer scare. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, it was so funny because as a, as a 15 year old boy, um, I, I overhear the conversation. It's not addressed to me. Her mother came to stay with us while she had to go in and do the biopsy and do all of the stuff. Um, but the first, the first thing I did was 
when I knew that she was that that that, there was a, that she had a lump in her breast was I actually called her best friend from high school, who was an old family friend. I said, you need to call my mother and support her. I don't know what to do. <laughs> wow. Support. <laughs> wow. But I, I, I've had other family members that have had to go through the mastectomy, through the stuff. For my mother, it was just a scare. Unfortunately, not for some of the others. So I, I don't have your experience, but I have the experience of the family member. Yes. Yes. And, and, you know, what I want to say too, is that, you know, for every, every single woman that I have talked to who has experienced this has, has a, has a deep love hate relationship with the outcome of whatever surgery they were, they, they endured. So whether it's a lumpectomy whether it's a single mastectomy or a double mastectomy, there is, there are so many misconceptions with, you know, what the outcome is going to be like with my reconstruction, for example, I increased myself by two cup sizes. So here I think I'm getting one thing, but really a mastectomy is so much significantly different. And, you know, and now there's recalls with breast implants. So there's, the thing is, is it really, you know, it takes away the thing I want men to understand is it takes away freedom so much because all of a sudden that diagnosis can, can put somebody into like a purgatory of, am I going to live? Am I not going to live? And some days are better than others. And so some days you can, you can wake up and say, oh, wow, I'm having a great boob day. And then the next day you could be looking in the mirror, just sobbing over your, the loss of what your life was before. There's just, um, and, and it's, and it's just, it's, it's just really difficult. Like 90%, I think it's estimated that 90% of of um, couples end up getting like divorced or they break up after a breast cancer diagnosis. That does not happen with testicular cancer or prostate cancer or things like that. Like it happens within breast cancer. It's, it's just like some people call breast cancer, like the great revealer. <laughs> and I think that there's so much truth to, truth to that. Like I can't hold the guy that I was dating for a month before diagnosis up to the standard, but he still did leave. He still couldn't deal. And so he broke things off. You think it's the, the guy who can't deal with the situation and that's why the, the breakup? It happens so the men can't deal or the women just feel like they have just changed so significantly that they kind of start realizing, well, maybe I am with this person for the wrong reasons. And, and, you know, maybe this marriage isn't as successful as what I, I thought it was. And, um, it's, it's a big reality check and There's it makes you check your whole entire life of like, you know, career wise, am I where I want to, I mean, everything, it makes you reevaluate everything. And, and you become less willing to settle that is correct so so, like, so correct yes yep i i'm i'm here now and i am not settling it's not okay anymore right. that behavior is not okay anymore or that i'm not going to put up with that anymore exactly so exactly there's an empowerment sometimes the empowerment can get fueled by months or years, years and years of not speaking up when suddenly you're like, I have to speak up. And then on the other side, the person's like, you never told me, I, I had no idea you were feeling. And you can say, well, aren't you kind of insensitive? Well, no, they have to tell you too. So there's this, there's this 
suddenly become empowered. And, you know, anybody who is with somebody that gets a terminal or, or a severely degenerative diagnosis, one that's going to change their ability to have a quality of life, like an ALS or stuff like this, that significant other should immediately be seeking out some kind of therapeutic help. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I mean, I think it's like for, for everybody, the sooner that you get into therapy, the better. It took me uh, three years after my diagnosis because I thought I was tough enough to handle it. And <laughs> after just everything kind of falling apart, I, I landed uh, at the Victory Center, which is a, um, it's a, it's a service-based organization. It's a nonprofit and they offer uh, free support groups. They have things like massages, Reiki. It's, it's an awesome organization here in the Toledo, Ohio area. And uh, they had a breast cancer support group and I landed there that night and I was just so angry inside about feeling ultimately misunderstood by everybody because I, I started looking good, right? Like I, my hair was growing back and my color was returning to my, you know, to my skin and um, my memory was getting better, but it still just wasn't the way that it was supposed to be. And the way that I was anticipating it was going to be and, you know, starting a new position and trying to retain information and just getting so frustrated because you can't, like I ended up in a support group and that was where I felt like I was finally heard for once. Um, and then eventually I, it led me to younger survivors. And that was really important because I think, you know, connection, like something like a, like being young and getting a cancer diagnosis is really isolating because it's like, you don't meet people every day who are young with, with cancer. Um, but it's so important to just take that power, take your power back and, and realize like you can, you can find what you're looking for. And especially in the day, you know, the, the, the age of Aquarius, anybody knows that reference now, before, before my 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 young teen years okay i have to say that we have five minutes left and we have to wind it down um kelsey dr kevin i love that i love that i could pull back because you know as a survivor i have a different outlook because i've always been outspoken i've been working in you know volunteering since in that industry since 76 so i see it a little differently but that's why I pulled back. I wanted him to ask questions that I'm used to probably. And I see people are texting me and saying, you know, hey, thank you. I understand a little bit more. I understand. And yes, anybody who leaves anybody when they have any kind of anything is a coward. I get that. And they're scared. I've heard the statistics as well. You know, it's it's very sad. But um Kelsey, we're going to have to have you back on here at some point. What do you think, Dr. Kevin and Elmer? Elmer? Yeah. Maybe you're still here, Elmer. You know, napping during the show, we talked about this last time. I talked less this show, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is, for, this is for Kelsey and all the other survivors out there. Super Thank survivors. You. Super <laughs> survivors. And Kelsey, this is for you too. You know, I don't ever put on makeup. So Yay! Is... Yes, Yay! we're ah, Yay! I love it. <laughs> All right, Beautiful. I'm gonna let the rest of the people take it home because Elmer, I don't know how to end this show. It's been so powerful. I don't know what to we do. We still have four more minutes before we run out, you know, we're actually run out of the show. One of the things I, I do Kelsey. Uh, one of the things you said, and I think it's really important, and I want I want our listeners, our, our viewers, our listeners, whoever to do this, 
is so often people don't recognize whether it's the support system or the person going through it, they don't, um, they don't recognize the invisible wounds. Yes. They make it all about the physical and, and the, the mental and the spiritual and the emotional um, uh, wounds that happen with something like this. Not only do people change spouses and relationship falls apart and careers fall apart, yeah. and people, but there are people that this is the opportunity where they realize that they don't have a relationship with the God that they like or a God that works for them or, or any kind of higher power or being. And so when you get something like this, um, it strikes on so many levels and people just want to make it about, well, your hair's growing back. Oh, and they look lovely, dear. You must be happy. And you want to just go, okay, I'm really going to hurt you, okay? I didn't do all this work to end up in prison. Get out of my face. <laughs> uh, am I right? <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, and from a spiritual standpoint, too, I mean, you know, it, it can, if you allow it, it can, you can really open yourself up to spiritual realms. Like for, for me, it was like after my father passed away, it was like feeling his presence because he wasn't in my life on the human plane, you know, and him on a spiritual level coming to me. And, um, you know, that is just, is just really a trip, but that was what kind of ushered me into, you know, it and having a dark night of the soul there afterwards, you know, because that is, you know, it's a setup when it comes down to it. You know, all these things are really, if you can look at it that way, they're, they're a setup to, you know, to the future, to the trajectory of your future. So, yeah, I mean, I encourage people to absolutely explore their spiritual side because it's just so complex and there's so many answers in there. If you really, if you really listen. Yeah. My, my primary practice for the last 30 years has been as a spiritual coach, counselor and catalyst and working, you know, so I, I work with all these areas from a slightly different perspective, but all of those invisible wounds um, that happen, that oftentimes physiologically people survive and they die because they bleed out in all the other areas. Mm-hmm. So, Rain. So, you've uh, done an amazing job. Yes. We have less than a minute left, so why don't you tell us about our, our next guest. Um, oh, you're gonna put that on me, huh? Okay, it's um, it's LS and This Is Hip Hop. We're gonna go a whole different direction. Yes, they had me on their show. Um, I know, I know, I didn't really look hip hop, it's, but you know, those are my roots from the Bronx. Kelsey, thank you so much for being such a lovely guest as you always are. Dr. Elmer Howard, <laughs> I don't have a doctorate. <laughs> and Dr. Kevin, um, as always, it's always fun with you guys. Thank you. It's nice to hear a man's perspective. Where are you running off to? You still got 30 seconds. <laughs> I'm showing you my hip. Well, wait, you're going to see it's going to be great. So thank all of you for supporting us. Are we out? Yes, we are done. Thank you, Kelsey. Kelsey. Thank you. Back. I'd love to. <laughs> woo woo, we did it! Woo woo! 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 woo. woo. Did you guys you all. the ukulele at all? Was that not yes. People are texting okay. and saying that they thought that was super impactful and 
I mean, I'm getting email. I don't know why people would email me, but they're emailing me saying it was impactful. It was wonderful. They're going to go back and listen because they think they missed the part of it. So that sounds awesome. great. Dr. Like, yeah, they said it was impactful. They liked the male perspective because you said things that they said they wouldn't have thought of because, you know, you're not a guy. Guys think differently than women. Somebody told me. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I, uh, I let Dr. Kevin take the lead on this because this is what he does. You know, I've, I've been working with him since 2009. And mm -hmm. I get blown away. Uh, you know, sometimes I've sat on some uh, sessions that were not real sessions, but he went into a session. That uh, was the CEO space, actually. You, you sit down as a woman. It was supposed to be a, was supposed to be a, business, a kind of a business consulting meeting. And yeah. There, she, he's sitting there talking to her, and he's like, "I'm sorry." He's like, "I just have to, to just have to ask this." He's like, "There's something going on right here." And then, wasn't it breast cancer? Wasn't that what she had? And you picked up on it medically intuitive. And then he went into his whole session with her, and she was crying. And I was just like, "So what?" I know when he gets on it, I like I just step back and let it go because he's really good at you know at what he does. And so and, and dealing with being able to talk to you about this was gonna was gonna be better for the audience than me trying to interject anything. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what? I you know you learn more. Like I said, I've been in this industry, as they call it, mm -hmm. for forever. But you get used to hearing the same stuff. So sometimes you don't hear new stuff. You just automatically when that person says A, you know you're gonna say B. And Correct. Say C, you're gonna say D. 